Welcome to the Foundations of Learning podcast, where we believe every child deserves a tailored and enriching educational experience. By embracing diverse perspectives and sharing practical tips, I hope to inspire you to actively participate in your child's learning journey, fostering a love for knowledge and nurturing the skills necessary for success in a rapidly changing world. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we are going to talk about fostering a love for reading versus teaching reading because I have posted things on social media before where I'm like, um, you know, don't teach your child to read by just reading to them. And there's this misconception. People are like, but wait, shouldn't we read to kids because it fosters a love of learning and so on. And so I'm going to talk about the difference between both of them and that both are important, but we have to identify what our objective is. Um, Are we trying to foster a love for learning? Are we trying to teach our child to read? What is the difference and why you should be doing both? All right. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is ways that you can discuss or not discuss, but ways that you can foster a love of reading um, with your child. So Number one is, yes, reading with them, right? We want to read with our children because one, it's a bonding experience. Two, it um, also teaches them, if they are younger, different concepts of print. So they're understanding the front of a book, the back of the book, that, you know, we what direction we flip our pages, which direction we read, um, that these words have meanings and they tell a story, right? There are so many things that are building upon in reading with your child. Also, oral vocabulary, right? We're building a vocabulary that they might not hear in day-to-day conversation. So please read with your child. But in this instance, we are simply fostering a love for, for reading. We are not trying to teach the child to read. So they're two very different things, right? So the next thing you can do to foster a love of reading with your child is to find books that interest them, right? Look for genres that they like or think about things that they already just are, you know, uh, attracted to, right? Like if your child likes dinosaurs, get them dinosaur books. Are they going to be able to read these dinosaur books on their own? Maybe not if they aren't yet um, to that to that spot, right? In their reading, they maybe are still working on foundational skills and they can't read the words. Now they might start recognizing words like pterodactyl or whatever, right? Because they have the picture and they have the word. Um, but again, this is to foster a love for reading and the fact that we can use books to learn many things, but it's not so much about teaching the child to read. So the next thing that you can do is model reading in your home. Um, If you are an avid reader and you enjoy reading and you read frequently, your child is going to follow suit. Now, I'm not saying that every single child is going to say, oh, my mom and dad are readers, so I'm going to be a reader too, because some kids just don't love reading and there are so many reasons to why they maybe don't love it. But If you can find books, like I had said before, that go with what they're interested in, they're going to like reading because it is a way that they can learn more about it. Now, if you're trying to force your kid to read said book and they are not able to read these words because it is above their level, yes, they're going to hate it because they can't read that book. So if your child is struggling to read a book, then just read it to them. If they enjoy it, but they don't like to read it themselves, it might be too hard for them. So just read it to them. And that is going to help foster that love of reading. And then again, like I said, if you model that behavior in your reading, they're going to follow suit as well. Because as we know, 
children are going to model what they see their parents doing. This is how they figure out how the world around them works and what should be important, what they should find value in, right? It's more in what you do than in what you say. So the next thing is just having books available in your house, right? Like if you have an array of books available, it's in genre, different genres. So maybe it's not even in what they find interesting. Maybe they don't know what they find interesting yet. So just have a bunch of books in your house with a bunch of different genres. Um, even the really young kids love to be read chapter books. So for example, as a first grade teacher, um, I would actually read the book Junie B. Jones to my students and they loved it. Even though there weren't any pictures or anything like that, they still love to listen. Now I would only read these chapter books, um, you know, in very small chunks. Like we would maybe read for max five minutes um, and then we would move on to something else. But they were always begging to listen to that book. So if you have a bunch of books in your house, whether that be chapter books or picture books or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter as long as you've got an array of books. And like I said, if it's too hard for them, read it to them. So the next thing is making connections between books and real life, right? For since the beginning of mankind, we have been telling stories to teach people things. That is how we would tell history before we had the writing that we do, right? We would tell stories by drawing pictures um, and then we would tell them out loud orally, right? So stories, no matter what, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, they're going to relate to real life in some way, right? Even though Harry Potter is not a real story, right? Like there's really not wizards out there. You can learn a lot of good um, things from Harry Potter, right? There are different morals to the story that if your child is able to recognize that or you discuss it with your child and you talk about, you know, the different lessons that he's learning or whatever, you can relate that to real life. Um, and so it's really important that you are making those connections for them if, for one, they're not making those connections um, in a developmentally appropriate way, but making those connections will also help them to understand like why we actually read. Like we read to learn things, no matter whether it's fiction or nonfiction, we learn something from the story. So another way to foster a love for reading is just to get a library card. You can go to your local library and get a li library card for free. And you can check out a book for a week and bring it back and that is a way for them to, it's like they get this special prize like once a week, right? They get to go get a new book and it's super fun for them. And like I said, again, this is not going to be to try to teach them to read. It's just to foster that love. Um, something else you can do is that if you are going on road trips, I know, I know that it is so fun to have an iPad. Not, not that it's so fun, but it's easier, right? If you put an iPad in front of your kid, we live in the day and age of technology where you can access books on your iPad, whether that be an audiobook, whether that be, um, just books that you can access online and a really good program that I used as a teacher. It's not very expensive. I think it's like, I don't even know, maybe three or $4 a month. It could be 
more than that or cheaper than that. I'm not 100% sure because working for the district, I just asked for it and they paid for it. It's a really good program and it's really easy for students to use so or children to use. So it's like an app. It's called Epic Books um, and it's an app that you can get on the iPad. And this app is really cool in the fact that one, they do have like fun videos of like kids building things with Legos and they teach you how to like build different things, um, which is super cool. Um, and then they have audiobooks and then they also have um, books where it will actually read to the child, um, but it highlights the word as they are reading so that they can see what each word is. Um, and then they also just have books that it doesn't have anybody reading to them. They just have to read it. And it has thousands and thousands and thousands of books um, that they can have access to on Epic. And my students loved Epic books. Like it was amazing um, because they could access so many different books and, um, for my my readers that were a little bit lower, they could still access books that um, were in, of interest to them, but I didn't have to read it to them because the program was reading to them. So if you are going on like a road trip or whatever and you want to access this app, I highly suggest it. Um, but you can also just get audiobooks and things like that um, on Audible. Um, and then if you do have like a Kindle or something like that, right, you could also have um, books on Kindle, but they're not going to be as fun as like if you have like picture books and things like that, right? Um, so if your child is at that point where they are reading, you can have them go get a book from the library, right? This local library, and you can have them take it on this trip. Now, one of my memories as a kid was every single time that we went on a road trip, this was obviously once we were a little bit older um, and we could read, my um, parents would always take us to like Barnes and Noble or a place like that. And we would get to buy a new book for that road trip. So it was something that was super special. My brother and I would get super excited that we got to go and get a new book and we would read that book on our road trip. Now I get there's people that get car sick and maybe that is not a great choice because you're looking down and it makes you sick. But however, it was something that was super, super fun for me and my brother. And we were also practicing our reading skills, right? Um, and so just doing things like that can also foster a love of reading. And it's something fun that they get to go and get before they go on their road trip. Um, so another thing you can do to foster a love for learning or not le learning, foster a love for reading also learning, um, would be to attend library story times. So libraries do have story times that you can go and attend and they have people there um, that will read stories to the kids and that can be super fun um, for them as well. So those are all things that you can do to foster a love of reading, right? It's we're not really focused on like teaching the child to read. Now, if they are a reader already um, you, and you want the book, you want them to be able to read the book. Um, one skill that I would taught my kids because, you know, they would go to library and they get to choose whatever books they want. Um, and we use the five finger rule. So what the five finger rule is, is that they would open the book to a random page and then they would read a sentence. And if they made, if they had five words that they did not know, that book was probably too hard for them. Now, I didn't make it a rule that they had to choose a book at library that was a book that they could read, but I told them if this is a book that you want to read and you don't want your mom and dad to, you know, have to read it to you, you want to be the one reading the book, which is totally fine. We can use our five finger rule, open the book to a random page. And every time that you don't know a word, put up a finger. And if you get five words that you don't know in that sentence, 
then it's probably too hard for us and that's okay and we can just have mom and dad read it to us. But that is a um, something that you can do is just open the book to a random page, have them read a sentence. If they don't know five words, that's okay. We can still get this book, but I'm just gonna have to read it to you and that's totally fine, right? Um, and so if you're trying to find a book that they they can actually read, use that five finger rule. It's super helpful to know like whether or not that book is um, going to be something that they can read independently. So I just talked about fostering a love for reading. Now that, like I said, you can practice reading if you do my five finger rule, they can also practice their reading skills in real books, right? But if our goal is to teach a child to read, we are not going to be doing those things that I just talked about. That is not how we're going to teach a child to read because there are many aspects to teaching reading that they have to know to build the foundations. And I get a lot of comments when I do like spelling patterns and things like that where um, they'll be like, this is pointless. Like there's too many exceptions. You shouldn't, you know, why are we trying to teach kids a more complicated way, blah, 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 whatever. And that is because we have had the reading wars for a very long time. Since the 1800s, we have been like going back and forth from phonics <clears throat> to whole language to then going to balanced literacy. And now we're in this new reading war where we're like, no balanced literacy, no structured literacy. And the funny thing is, is that the structured literacy is actually backed by neuroscience and linguistics and psychology and like literally every realm you could think of. And they've actually done like brain scans to see like how we actually learn to read. Anywho, so it's kind of funny that people are still obsessed over this balanced literacy, which I mean, balanced literacy is more about meaning in words, which structured literacy gets to. But what we do is we build the foundations first while talking about meaning in a developmentally appropriate way. And you still talk about fluency, but you just do it in a more explicit or systematic way than what balanced literacy does. Like, I feel like balanced literacy was just kind of like throwing like... I don't know, stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks, right? Like it wasn't an approach that is helpful. And I know that because I've taught it and it definitely was not working. Um, anywho, I get comments about like, this is pointless. Why would you do this? And it's kind of funny because I think about the analogy of like learning and a musical instrument, right? So side story here. Um, I, so we had last year at the end of the school year, um, our school did a talent show for the, so the kids, like the fifth and sixth graders got to do a talent show. And then they wanted the teachers to also do the talent show. So they wanted us to, you know, come like do groups of teachers and like do some sort of talent. And so some of us teachers decided we're going to create a band. We called ourselves ABCD. I mean, it was amazing. We made shirts, everything. Anywho, um, I have really never played a musical instrument. Like if you are my age, then you know in elementary school they taught you like how to play the recorder and you had to like play hot cross buns or whatever, right? So I had like that much experience in learning a musical instrument. Like I could not play a musical instrument and I was like, I want to be a part of this band because I want to learn a musical instrument. Now we only had, we had very little time to learn how to actually do these things. But the other people in the group, they were actually like musicians, they knew how to play instruments. Um, anywho, so one of my coworkers, her husband knows how to play like every instrument. And I did not have time to learn how, like I was the drummer. They were like, this will be the easiest one for you, like is drums. So you can learn like the five main beats and just play it. Right. So 
I didn't have time to learn the music, to learn the how to read music, how like what, what parts of the drum or what parts. Like literally I sat down, her husband was like, hey, these are the beats and then you're gonna copy me. <laughs> and to be honest, it's so funny because that is whole language. Like doing the balanced literacy approach, to do the whole language approach, a lot of it is just like, look, I'm gonna show you how to do it and then you're gonna copy me. Anywho, so I learned those five beats, okay? And I sat there and practiced on like using pencils and stuff. Like I was listening to the song that we were gonna play and I would just sit there and practice the beat so that I knew what the beat was. And then I had to like watch the bass player because the bass player and the drums I learned are kind of, they play some of the same beats, right? And the beats that I were pl I was playing was like what the bass player was playing. like. Very simple, okay? And it was really hard because I had to memorize it and it would have been so much easier if I had the foundations. Like if I knew, all right, here is how you read music, here are the notes, here are the beats, this is how you read drum music, and then these are the parts of the drum, this is what this means, and this is what this means. Like it was so complex and I didn't even realize, like I knew it was complex, but anywho. It is such a great analogy to why we should teach spelling patterns and why we should teach structured literacy because I memorized how to play like five beats in one song, but I can't apply that to anything else. It's the same thing. If we teach the kids the alphabetic code, which our system is an alphabetic code, so it is not like what we used to do where symbols represented meaning Although, I mean, I guess you could say, well, these symbols represent meaning, but only if they're put together in a certain way, right? So if we teach the alphabetic code, we teach phonological awareness, we teach prefixes and suffixes, and we actually teach them how our language works, it's kind of like learning how to read music, learning the parts of the instrument, right? And building upon that foundation so that I know if I go to another sheet of music, I can just play it. I don't have to try to just memorize that song and memorize this song and memorize that song. It is the exact same thing when we are learning to read. If you are trying to do it based on memorization, kids are going to get to a certain book where they don't know any of the words and they have no strategies to actually sound out these words or to read these words. It also would be beneficial if they understood how to identify prefixes, suffixes, root words, base words, and identify meaning of the word without having to use context. I don't know how many times, because I grew up in the era of balanced literacy, so I don't know how many times I have used a word incorrectly. My husband always tells me, he's like, you did not use that word right, but it was because I was taught to use context to figure out the meaning of a word. And so when I was using that context, I might have not understood it correctly in that context. Maybe it was because there were other words in the sentences that I didn't quite understand, but I thought I did, right? So that approach just is not, it's not sustainable. It's not going to be helpful. So when I get the comments, when I've taught a spelling pattern and they're like, this is so pointless, there's too many exceptions. No, there's not. Unfortunately, my friend, you don't understand the English language in the fact that <laughs> we have the English language is made up of Greek, Anglo-Saxon, and Latin. Those are the word like the 
the, where we take our language, obviously we have, we pull words from other cultures as well, right? So we might have some French words, we might have some German words, we might have some um, Australian words, whatever. Everybody's words are different. So yes, we do pull some words and we use them in English language. So there can be exceptions, but only 4% of words are actually going to have some sort of exception. And we're still going to teach that in a brain friendly way. So even if we do have exceptions, that's what we would call high frequency words or red words or green words or whatever word you want to put on it is that we're still going to teach them the sounds in the word. We're going to break the sounds apart. We're going to find the irregular part and we're going to memorize just that small irregular part, right? So for example, I don't know, let's say the word said, right? AI generally does not say eh, but in this word it is saying eh. And maybe based on your dialect, maybe you say it with an A sound. I don't know, right? Because dialect also changes the way we say sounds. So you would teach them, we're going to tap the sounds in this word, eh, d, said, right? Now we're going to look at the letters that represent those sounds. S, oh, well, what usually represents that sound? S usually represents that sound, and that's what it's representing. So S is the first sound. Eh. Now this is the tricky part. This is the part we're going to have to essentially memorize, right? Is the A and the I. This is the sound that it's going to make. It's not going to be an E, and you can mark that with a heart. You can underline it. You can highlight it, whatever. S. Eh, d. What's that last sound? It's d. What usually represents d is the letter d, right? So now we're not just memorizing the whole word, we're memorizing just a small piece. And a part of what actually helps our brain to learn to read, to turn words into sight words quicker than even memorization, is going to be mapping the sounds and mapping the sound spellings that correspond to that. So it's so important that we understand the science behind how our brains actually learn to read and it's not memorization. And I get so sick of people thinking that it is still memorization. And this is like the hill I'm going to die on. And I'm going to keep bringing up until people realize that like, just because you're like, well, I was taught that way and I'm just fine. <sighs> Why do we have that conception in our world of like, well, you know, it was, it was this way growing up and eh, well, I turned out fine. So who cares? Like, why can't we evolve? I don't know. Anywho, drives me crazy. So the pieces to teaching reading are going to be oral language. You need to have that oral language, which like I said, reading lots of books will help you to increase your oral language, talking to your child, um, giving them words for objects early on, right? Like there's so many things you can do to, to grow the oral language phonological awareness, which is the ability to manipulate sounds in words, whether that be with syllables, just understanding what a word is, um, understanding onset and rhyme, understanding how to break a word into its individual sounds, right? There's so many pieces to phonological awareness. And if your child has some sort of like dyslexia or um, some sort of phonological processing disorder, Phonological awareness is what they need to work on, and that is going to help them when they go to actually read and to write, right? So we have oral language, phonological awareness, then we have phonics. So phonics is actually those sounds we were working on in the auditory form with phonological awareness, we're now putting to the sound spelling, right? So now we're looking at our alphabet and the sounds of our alphabet. We're looking at vowel teams and diphthongs, and we're looking at... Um, 
our controlled vowels and we're looking at silent E and just the patterns that we see within words most frequently. And then you also have um, some other patterns that don't show up as frequently, but maybe they say a sound, right? So you could go with just like long vowel sounds because most of our patterns are going to be um, with the vowels. Obviously there's different ones like digraphs. Those are two consonants that stick together and they say one new sound, right? So there are other ones as well, but our vowels are going to have the largest variation in the sounds that they say and how we're going to spell that. And the reason that we do that in our English language can have to do with um, how we're changing the word um, in its meaning. You know, like you have the word breath and you have the word breathe, right? They're very different and they're spelt differently and they're spelt differently for a reason so that we know how to pronounce the TH or how to pronounce the vowel, right? So there are actual rules and patterns and obviously it gets more complex as you go. And so that's why we wanna teach like the most simple form, build upon, right? As if you were building a house. Um, but you can teach these patterns and then students can start to recognize these patterns and how to read and spell with them, right? So in the phonics portion, you're teaching that spelling pattern. You are then having them read with it. You're having them spell with it. You're having them read decodable texts that actually follow that pattern so that they can practice reading with that pattern. So can you see the difference on teaching a child to read and fostering a love for reading? They are both important, equally important except for there are two different approaches, two different objectives. And yes, if they become a good reader, right, by building the foundations and teaching them to read, it is going to foster a love of reading because now they can do it on their own. They can, you know, the opportunities are endless, right, with what they can read and whatever. Um, so you have phonics, okay? And then you go to high frequency words. Now, like I said, some people call these sight words, some people call them high frequency words, some people call them red words it really doesn't matter what high frequency words are and why I think they're important is because they are the most frequently used words in text. So for example, um, the 107 Zeno words is what I would teach my students. They comprise 50% of all text. So if we can turn those, which not all of them are actually irregular words, like some of them are like in, okay, it, those are not irregular, but if we can turn those into sight words quicker, it's going to be easier. So those comprise the one, like 50% of all text. So if we can get those 107 solid in them reading and spelling with them, their writing is going to get better and their reading is going to get better. And using the methods that I used, I had 10% of my students able to read and write high frequency words or those 107, or sorry, not 107, 65, because in first grade we did one to 65, but those 65 words, I had 10% of my students that were able to read and spell the 65 words in the beginning of the year. And by the end of the year, using a brain-friendly approach, I had 95% of my students reading and spelling with those words. So when we use a brain-friendly approach, you will see growth in their abilities very quickly, okay? So those are the high frequency words to teach high frequency words. Basically, it's like what I had said before with the word said, right? We're still, you know, looking at the sounds in the word. We're identifying the irregular pattern if there is one. We are reading with it. We're spelling with it. We're finding it within text and we're doing that frequently. We're always reviewing. That is one thing too with teaching reading is you should always be reviewing. I don't care if you are like, eh, I think my kids got it. 
I would review it every so often, just bring it back, right? And I mean, once I get to a point where they're, they're a fluent reader and they can just read words and they can identify patterns in words, it's not as necessary to go back because now they've moved on from learning to read to reading to learn, right? Um, so that's high frequency words, right? So then we have vocabulary, which vocabulary is something that you can work on with even young kids. Um, it's just going to look a little bit different, right? So in the early days of reading books, right, it might just be that, hey, you know, we have this word in our book that we're reading. We don't really know what it is. Let's, you know, I'm going to show you a picture of it. We're going to talk about how we would use it in a sentence. We're going to talk about like what the word means, things like that, right? In that early stage of these young kids that, Maybe they're not ready for prefixes and suffixes and root words and base words, but we are still talking about the vocabulary within the book. And you can do this as you're fostering a love for reading. This will help grow their oral vocabulary. It will help grow um, their just their vocabulary in general, right? But when we are looking at vocabulary and what I'm really talking about is when we get to a point where we are looking for spelling patterns where we've talked about prefixes and suffixes and why we add them, the meanings of them, right? That's what that vocabulary piece is, is looking at a word and breaking it into its pieces of prefixes, root word, base word, and suffixes, and identifying identifying what the meaning of each of those things are, right? So what is the meaning of the prefix in this word? And why would we add it to this word? What is the base or root word? Which base and root are very different. Base word, basically you can have on its own, you could have the word um, like for example, like the word run, right? Run can be on its own. It has its own meaning. You add ing to the end and now you have running. That means that it happened in the past. I already did it, right? So understanding that we have a base or a root, the root usually can't stand on its own. Um, and so you have to have a prefix or suffix to make it a full word, but that root word will still have some sort of meaning. But when we say root, it's usually pulling from like an old Greek word or it's pulling from an old Latin word or an old Anglo-Saxon word. And so we have that root, but now in our language, we are adding that prefix, prefix or suffix to actually give it meaning. So for example, like the word logos, right? We don't use that word in our English language, but it is a, a, a Greek word, right? And we can use that, like, you know, logos, like we're talking about, like logic or logical, right? We are pulling from that word, and that is our root, but we're adding on a suffix at the end to make it mean something else, logical, right? So it, it, they're just understanding in vocabulary, that piece of how our English language works and how we can actually use that to identify meaning in words in a deeper sense than just here's the definition and this is what the word means or what do you think the word means based on context, which is what I used to teach for vocabulary. Here's the definition, draw me a picture of what this word means based on this dictionary definition or tell me what you think the word means based on the context. Like that is how I taught vocabulary and that is like the worst way you can teach it. Okay, so now we have vocabulary. So now we're, as you can see, we're getting more complex as we build, right? So eventually we get to the fluency and the comprehension piece. Now fluency is not just how accurately your kid can read. Yes, that is a piece of it, but it has to do with rate, which is how fast you are reading. We read like we talk is what I would tell my students. It's about expression. So we're looking at our um, question mark, period, exclamation mark, right? And that changes or tells us how we are going to read said statement, right? And then you have um, 
accuracy. So you're looking at how accurate are you actually at reading these words, which goes back to phonics, which goes back to vocabulary, right? Can we understand how our English language is actually working? And then you go into comprehension. So now, because we are a fluent reader, reading accurately, we have expression, we're reading with rate, we understand how our language works, we can now understand what we're reading, right? And yes, you can practice comprehension outside of um, them just reading the story. You can do this as you're fostering a love for reading. You can work on that comprehension piece just by simply asking your child questions as you're reading, right? Obviously developmentally appropriate, but if you're reading a story, even with your really young, young kids, like three, four years old, right? And you're reading a story about frogs or whatever, and you're like, what, what did you just learn about a frog? What did the frog do on this page? Or what did the frog do on that page or whatever, right? You can ask them questions to get them thinking about what they're actually reading. Um, or you can ask them about like, who is your favorite character? Why was it your favorite character? Where, where did the story take place? Where were they at? You know, maybe they were on a farm or whatever, and you had farmer Joe and I don't know, right? The pigs and the cows or whatever. You can ask these questions, right? And you can be like, what did the piggy in our story or whatever it is, but engaging them in asking questions about what they're reading is comprehension. Like comprehension doesn't really have to be rocket science, right? But the point of what we're doing when we're building those foundations is getting to them to a point where they can read to learn, right? So as you can see, it is a very different in fostering love for reading and teaching reading. They are two very different things, but yet they are both very important. Now, when I'm saying like, if you read to your kid, your kid's going to learn to read. That's just, I mean, that's just not true. I mean, like I said, back to the analogy of learning a musical instrument, they might be able to memorize some words for sure, you know, and you might be like, oh, my kid's a reader because we've read this book a million times and now they've memorized this book and they can read the words. But if they, you go to put another book in front of them, they can't read it, right? So it's important to understand the two differences and the distinction between the two. And that even when you are reading to your child, you are modeling how a fluent reader sounds, but they still need the foundations of how our English language works. And then to put into the piece of here's what a fluent reader sounds like, we need both, right? So I just want you to know, keep reading with your child. It's super important. And I hope that this podcast was helpful in like differentiating between fostering a love and teaching reading and the different pieces and what you can do to foster a love of reading and what components you need to actually teach your child how to be an effective reader and writer. And as always, I hope that you have continued success and that you continue learning about everything literacy and we will see you next time.